Welcome to another episode of Culture Score. I'm BT. And I am Marcus. Culture Score is a podcast at the intersection of black culture and popular culture with a focus on film and TV. Today we're covering two distant strangers. This deserves a trigger warning. This is a loop of police violence, racism, and firsthand trauma. When we say black man in this movie, we're referring broadly to the black person because these interactions are also with black males and black females. And we just wanted to recognize that we're going to be making these references as we go along, but it's, it's very important that you recognize that we're also talking about the black woman and the experiences of a black woman as we have these conversations. It was brought to you by Netflix. The directors, Trayvon Free and Martin Desmond Rowe. The lead characters, Joey Badass and Andrew Howard and Zaria. And the writers, Trayvon Free. Marcus, synopsis, hit it. This is the short that won the Academy Award. So in other words, Oscar. Um, it's the Oscar-winning uh, short film. The film, is it runs 32 minutes. It's basically a, a, a black man. It's coming out of his girlfriend's apartment. Stops to tie a shoe, light up a cigarette. Next thing you know, he's getting stopped and very aggressively, very violently, very unnecessarily frisked by a white cop. I could go into more detail, but that's the premise. Um, to most people who are listening to this, you're like, okay, that's the only premise I need. Um, I got to say something before we get started with this. You know, sometimes I get on my little soapboxes before we get going, but you know, BT just made a comment about things being triggering. Um, of everything that we have scored or rated, this one here is going to be one of those that is, is very difficult for me to rate. Um, I won't tell you my score but right now, but I would just say, like, this one was really hard to rate. I almost decided not to rate it at all. Oh, wow. That's actually where I was. <laughs> yeah, okay. I almost didn't rate it. That's yeah, crazy. So I almost gave it an NR for no, no, not rated. But I felt like the reason why I chose not to do that is just for me, and this is not speaking on your behalf, uh, BT, because that, I'm sure that's not your, your thoughts, but I didn't want to disrespect the art. I didn't want to disrespect the story um, because I will say that I think it's brilliantly done. And I think to not rate it would be taking something away from the film. And um, at knowing a few film, filmmakers in my, in my world, I know how hard it is to get something on screen, especially when you're a person of color. So to do that, I, I didn't want to take that, that way out. Um, but I think both of us would have been valid if we did. Um, just kind of jumping into this, um, what our first topic here of the night. Um, in, this, in this film, uh, it's kind of like if you've ever seen uh, End of Tomorrow or Edge of Tomorrow, excuse me, the Tom Hanks movie or Groundhog Day. That's the premise of this film. The only difference is it's way more stirring because basically Carter, who is Joey Badass um, uh, real life, uh, he's having this dream uh, and he has this dream over a hundred times that no matter what he does when he steps out of his girlfriend's apartment, this police ends up killing him. And it is visually, I, I won't even call it stimulating because it is a stimulant, but I think when you use the phrase stimulating, you think of something good, uh, an aroma, a flavor or something. This is stimulating and appalling way. Um, it's just hard to, yeah, very triggering. It's very difficult to watch a film when 
you see someone constantly just being bludgeoned to death. And we see it so much on our nightly news. And so I give you all that to say, uh, to jump into our first topic. Uh, in this film, there's a constant loop of the police officer killing Carter. Um, I guess my question to you, BT, to kind of get us started is, do you feel like that's just, you know, him just having dreams and he just keeps reliving it? Or do you think this could be a creative license from the filmmakers to kind of represent a metaphor that no matter what a black person does, um, a cop doesn't need a a license. He doesn't need a reason to kill you. Just any reason um, to kill you, they will choose. I mean, do you feel like it's metaphoric or do you think that's just part of the premise of the film? I think it's both. It's absolutely metaphoric, and that's the spine of the film, right? But, you know, as I think, you know, as I watch and I think about the movie, one of the things that I struggle with is that we're, we're having a conversation that's been had before in so many ways, and I almost wanted to not look at it the way that it's portrayed. I wanted to peel back from it. So one of the things I'll say, really, is that if you watch the movie all the way, that you watch the credits, um, and, and usually we don't appreciate when they start rolling, you know, the movie's over, but, you know, it, it's a partial list of all the killings and it's so beautifully built into the end that, you know, I'd recommend that you watch it. You know, outside of that, you know, I'd say cinematically, I love the choice of the loop, even though the loop did this movie a disservice in some ways, because it continuously takes you back to the point that was originally made. And because it takes you back to that point, it almost acts as some sort of an eraser. And, you know, it, it, it erases the reality that the story is based on and the depictions that I made, right? So dramatizing it and dramatizing the interactions with the police and making, it, making the experiences as a dream, it softens this movie for me for entertainment, you know, and hence, I guess, why it got the award, right? So... Going back to, you know, the the, I think the drama. I wanted to take you back to that loop and the metaphor, but I, let me talk a bit, a little bit more about the drama. Like the drama is the only thing that makes it palpable for a general audience, you know. But I'd argue that for the black viewer, who sort of has this drama inside and who lives these experiences personally, they wouldn't find a lot of entertainment in this, which again, I think hacks, hacks into that whole concept of the loop. But, you know, I, I think the creators did not mean for this to be entertaining, even though that is precisely what it is. It's going to be for some people. Right. Um, and with that, the loop does a great job. What the loop does a great job of achieving, in my opinion, and, and tying that to the metaphor markers is that, it tells the story in a way that you can almost insert police and any of the other societal injustices that, you know, the black person in America has experienced from red zoning to the challenges with the justice system, the prison system, you know, schools and, you know, um, you know, inner city deserts for like good food, for, for food and all of those things, right? The inability to get jobs. I, I feel like if you take the spine of that movie and just rework a few things, you can insert any of those things into the loop and play it over and over and over. So I think cinematically that choice of a loop does a great service to that, right? But with that said, I also think about the what ifs, 
right? Because, you know, the story is a reality that's dramatized and almost fantasized in a way. You know, but I think about it and I say, you know, what if, you know, Carter had snatched a gun in one of those instances and shot the cop? I know this is now we're getting into some sort of a spoiler, but I'm guessing that people would either watch it and appreciate watching it with some of these thoughts in their minds. Like, what if he had grabbed the gun, you know, in, in one of those encounters with the police, you know, and and, and, and shot him? Right. If or the gun went off or what have you to, to, to change the dynamic of what that experience is and to change the dynamic of the the storytelling. Like what if they explored the cop harassing Carter during like a BLM march, which adds another dimension to the storytelling. Right. You know, what if his girlfriend, you know, in the movie, she talked about having a gun. You know, what if she had been inserted into one of those interactions with the cops and then had a gun? So would it have? But you made... know what, BT? I think that's a good point. If you don't mind me, kind of interjecting, I think that's no, a really not good at all. What you're making, I I think, and I'm not obviously clearly, I'm not the filmmaker, yeah. but I like the choices made in this film because here's a black woman lives in New York. She had a gun because she wants to protect herself. She lives alone, but I'm so glad that they let it be known that she had a gun, but that Carter chose not to use the gun because what it shows. And what I hope it dispels for a percentage of the population is he didn't go out there doing anything wrong. He wasn't concealing a weapon. We're not these people who are just looking for violence because that's the story that's told on the news all the time. As soon as a black person is killed, the first thing they want to do is tell you about their record. Um, they want to tell you about whatever they can to slant it in their favor, to shun that person and make you think, oh, well, he really wasn't just an innocent you know, he really was a, a blah, 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 blah. So they can protect the police, but sit here and, and just, you know, throw this person who's been killed, throw their names through the mud. I'm glad they showed that he could have taken that route, but he didn't. And I right. do think the, all, the, all the loop, the constant loops of him having to wake up and face this cop and get harassed and violently, uh, you know, beaten and thrown up against walls and things of this nature and spoken to in such a, uh, an aggressive, you know, authoritative manner that was just not necessary, I think is so metaphorical because what it shows is through a hundred attempts, whether it was running from the man, whether it was trying not to have to tie a shoe, whether it's not letting the money fall out of his bag, whether making sure he don't accidentally bump someone, this man had a hundred attempts to have a different fate. And each one of those attempts, he had the same fate. So to me, it's metaphoric. Whether and and so, whether you, Mark, Marcus, let, let me just throw this in. Because that, to me, is the real tragedy of the movie, right? It's not the eventuality of death in any of these interactions with the police that's sad. It is how hard he tries to be compliant, away from the eyeballs of society, away from the eyeballs of the police, and away from the eyeballs of everybody, how hard he tries to be compliant for the unseen, right? When, you know, he just wants to be un invisible. He wants to be unseen. He wants to go through life without having these interactions. But all the while, it's in the back of his head. And that's, you know, the metaphor and the, the, the looping. I think it does a great job of that. Like, you know, to me, it's like, you know, the film is very subtle with that message of life and the struggle of life. And the little things that you mentioned, like just smoking a, a cigarette, like having cash, like the cop asking him to say, sir, like it, it almost feels like dying is almost prophetic 
right? Because it fulfills what the story is about. It fulfills the fact that your life is not perfect. And because it's not perfect and nobody nobody's life is, right? Because it's not perfect, they're going to use that one thing to complete a story that's already been told about you. So it's really, to me, it's not, it's not the tragedy of death. It's almost the tragedy of life that makes this story to me so depressing. And I think that's what triggers because we, we're watching this and we're looking at it and we're alive. And the, the way you're looking at it is like, okay, every time I get in my car and I get out and I see a, a, a squad car or I think about these interactions, it's a very tragic way to live because you're living through moments that really a lot of people get from wars. A lot of people, you shouldn't live that way, right? So to me, that's that's really the tragedy. I didn't mean to jump in, but I thought it was it was very poignant for me to capture that. No, I'm glad you did. I mean, this is that's one of the things that's so great about this podcast. It's a discussion. You know, you jump in where you feel like you can add value. And I, I think that's one of those points that you did. You know, like, I think what they were trying to say, and then we can jump to the next point, but I just think it was their way artistically of stating whether it's because you got an air freshener on your rearview mirror, whether you tell a cop that you got a gun in the glove compartment and you're and you're gonna let them know that you have it in there, whether you're reaching for your license, whether you're paying with a twenty dollar bill, whether you're just sleeping grabbing in a your cigarette, bed, whether going you're for sleeping a run. in bed, whatever the case may be, you can be killed at the whim of someone and they don't have to have a reason other than you're black. That's it. And I think that's what this film is trying to show. And I, and I hope, because I think it's, we've gotten to a point where I personally can say this. I'm going to go on a limb and, and stamp my name to this. I do not know a black person, man or woman, gay or straight, Southern or Northern, American or from somewhere else that does not have some form of PTSD. If you are a non-black person listening to this podcast, no matter how well they're holding it together, let me be clear. We are all hurting to some extent. Now, do we hurt every second of every day thinking about it? We do not. But I don't know a black person that has not went through some emotional PTSD over, I wish I could say what has happened in the last year, but what has happened in my lifetime. Like every time you turn on the news, you, there's somebody who looked like you who is dying. And even when we have video evidence that we were not in the wrong, how many times do we have to see the victimizer gets to play the victim? So many times that happens. And it's just like, there's no justice. And I think, as you keep using that phrase, triggering, this is so triggering. It's just, it's like, it's like, man, it's, when will it stop? And, and, and if I can, I'm going to go ahead and annex to my next point because that's kind of where I'm going. Is it just me or has it become that black people suffering or black people being killed? Just some, an actual genre of movies now. Like, I mean, and when I say that, I literally mean like, is it not me or, or do you all agree with me that it seems like 75% of all black movies that's led by a black cast or what have you, it's some kind of suffering going on. It's like, okay, you have Westerns, you have comedies, you have sci-fi. Oh, and over here we got black <laughs> suffering. 
I mean, I, I mean, I'm being honest, and and, and there's is, different levels of it. It is like, oh, it's twelve years of slave suffering. You should then, instead of saying <laughs> comedy, you should have said horror. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's worse than horror. And the sad thing is, a lot of these things are autobiographical. Fruitvale Station, they're phenomenal films, and I think they're stories that need to be told. But is it the only story that can be told? And what you know, that's that's the question. Like. Is it not a genre of movie now? Because that's the only movies that seem to get made. And it's the only movies that are predominantly people. Oh, let me, let me not say people of color. That's predominantly black people that gets nominated for anything. And let's, let's not make it a genre and forget that slavery is part of that suffering. Because they've made hell of movies about slavery, right? And they always do well. And they're always part of it. But just because you started listing it. Black and Blue, Queen and Slim, Detroit, The Hate You Give, Training Day, Judas and the Black Messiah, like Lakeview Terrace, Fruitville Station, like all of these movies that have been made and that do well, like they do well commercially. And the reason they do well, I guess, is because as triggering as they are, Marcus, there's something in you that still ends up watching it because you watch it and you pick something up, right? So in this movie, for example, if you watched it, the last time that Carter was shot, his blood bled as the map of Africa on the, on, on the pavement, right? And so you watch it and you see that and you're like, man, that was some dope thinking. But also when I watch it, I have to go out and cleanse my head. I have to get on a drive. I have to do something that makes gets me out of how this, these movies make me feel, right? So is it a, a genre? Like, absolutely. Should it be? Absolutely not. Does it advance the conversation? In my opinion, not so much because it ends up being entertainment. And when it's entertainment, people treat it as something that's separate from reality, right? So I, I think about this and I think about the, you know, the, the you, along the lines of this is a genre and you say, okay, Two Distant Strangers is written around realities. There's a lot of movies where they do the acting part of it. And then when the guy's head is on the pavement and he can't breathe, that's reality. You could tie that in, right? If you got somebody's knee on somebody's neck, that's reality. You could tie that in. But if you mix the two, would it ever win an award? Does it become a story that's told? Does it become something that allows people to sit you know, with the emotions that are being transmitted in the movie, would the movie actually be better if it's like a silent film and people just look at it and take what they take from it with no words, maybe subtitles if you want, and they just take from it, right? So back, is, is it a genre? Like, absolutely. And it, it's a genre that I think unfortunately shouldn't be um, because this this is reality. So you're talking about documentaries here, not really films. But is it something that we appreciate the fact, in a weird way, we appreciate the fact that Netflix is picking this up, right? We appreciate the fact that you see these on Amazon Prime and you know Disney has a bunch of them on ABC now and all of these stories are being told. You appreciate the fact that it's being told because in a weird way, you want these stories to go out. But on the flip end of it, which is what we're doing, I, I question myself when we're about to have this conversation about two distant strangers is how do you advance the conversation? How do you leave a rock in somebody's hand so we're not just sitting in the trauma porn of it all? You're actually allowing somebody to take something and walk away with it so they can say, you know what? This is the 15th time I'm watching this, but by the next time 
I watch it by the 16th time, I'm actually going to do X or going to do Y. Because when I do that, I'm going to advance this past the point where we are. I'm going to do something different with it. I'm going to go and be on the local council, on the police review board. I'm going to challenge these rules that, unfortunately, you're seeing hardening of the positions that have perpetuated the situations that we're in today. They're actually getting embedded um, policy-wise and legal-wise and all of these other ways that you look and say, are we making progress? Yeah, Chauvin just got, um, I know I'm going off on this great tangent here, but it just tells you where this movie got me. Chauvin just got, for the first time, a, a big case where the, the cop was indicted. But I'm saying, you're not indicting what's causing the problem. It's not the cop. It's the culture of policing, writ large, right? If, if you... If, if you don't feel protection or feel any kind of service, why are you indicting the man? You should indict the system. And what does that mean? How do we advance that? And this is what I think these movies should be challenging. And this is what I think the whole genre should be about. And this is what entertainment does a great job sometimes. Other times it doesn't. And I don't think that the the the, the, the trauma and the genre of black pain you know, between slavery and policing and what have you um, really advances this conversation for me. I know that guy. I think, I think this movie, like, like all movies, like I, I hope this is what people get from our podcast. You know, when we first started talking about doing this, one of the things that we always said we wanted to do was we wanted to be entertaining. We wanted to be insightful and we wanted to be educational, tell you something about the movie maybe you didn't know or give you some insight that we studied that maybe you didn't have time for. I think that's what every movie should strive to do. I don't think this is a movie for black people. We live it. So if you are Iron Man, is watching Iron Man entertaining to you? No, that's just your life. I think this, these films are really not for us. They're about us. But it's a way for people who may think we're playing a race card or we deserve it. It's a way for you to keep seeing it so that maybe you will alter the way you think or the way you do things or the way you blame the victim. Or you just you just like, hey, I live in a social media world. I saw that. Okay, next. And you jump to the next thing. Um, it isn't by chance that like Martin Luther King and these strategies, Martin Luther King Jr., when he did, kind of decided or, or when Emmett Till's mom decided to have an open casket or when he knew that, oh, there was going to be news media there. And he knew that it was going to be a lot of black people getting uh, bitten by dogs and hosed. That's a, an inherent risk that he was willing to take. And the people who fought beside him, they did it because they knew through film, through their local news, so many people had no idea how heinous things were, were being um, for, for, the, for Black people. And I think sometimes the movies are hoping to give the same thing, um, that if we keep showing it, we'll shock you into caring. But I think society is so much different than they were in the 1950s and the 1960s. Um, we're a lot more cynical. We have a lot more things to distract us. Um, we've become even more divided where every time, if you're not, if you don't have it in your home, somebody must have taken it from you. It isn't because you didn't get it, you didn't work for it, you didn't earn it. No, it's because that person has it. So, so I think Marcus, let, let me ask you something. You just touched on something that 
I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice you ending that point to ask you something. So on that note of what you're saying, what if a white person says white people get shot by cops too? Cops get shot. Like they, their job's dangerous. I know that. What if they say that and they say, we don't see enough movies about that. Um, so why is it always about the black person? What would you say? Well, let me let me be clear about this too. And it's sad that it, I, I don't feel like it has to be said, but I want to say it. I am not, and this podcast is, you're not that way, not that we have to explain it to the world. We've had different races of folks on the show. We don't get caught up with that. I'm not sitting here trying to hate on white people. I don't think all white people are bad. I don't. I got a ton of white friends and, and they're advocates and allies. And to be honest with you, some of them I would take to a Black Lives Matter march with me before some certain black people I know, <laughs> to be clear, to be honest, because I feel like they would, be, they would be about that life. It's not about vilifying someone, but it's also not about praising someone. You, you do what you're supposed to do. You do what is right. But statistically, yes, white people could say, hey, don't white people get shot by cops? You do. But if you look at the percentage of you that get shot compared to us, if you look at the percentage of those of us who come back in a body bag, I will say this, and I know I said it on another podcast, but I will stand by this as one of the most, uh, most appallingly like one of the most angry I've ever been, like ever in my life, is when I sit here and I watch a black person who gets killed for the most simplistic thing for them. I mean, just, just it, it doesn't matter what you look like. No one can say that that was right. And then I watch someone like Dylan Roof who goes into a church in Charleston and those folks in Charleston are here trying to be there for you, pray for you, whatever the case may be. They were trying to console you and be there for you. And you turned around and killed them. And then the police, the same police who would kill us for not saying sir or for not looking up at you at the right time or whatever thing that, you know, got your, your panties in a bunch that day. This man killed all these people and you're giving him a bottle of water. And because he's hungry, you stopped him off at Burger King. That I cannot stress to, to whomever is listening to this. There is not a greater parallel, or, or, excuse me, a greater example of the difference in which black people are and have always been treated in this country as opposed to someone who is white. That, there's, there's nothing you can say. And for anyone who says to me, you know what, Marcus, that's an isolated incident. I can give you 65 names of black people, men and women who have been killed in the last three, four, five years. And I can show you if we deal a deep dive of maybe some white folks who have done some things that are worse. I mean, I see videos on Twitter or Instagram of white people who don't want to be pulled over by the police. And the police has been dragged inside the SUV with his arm in the window and, and, the, and the person that rolled the window up. And that person still does not get shot, does not get killed. And here's the crazy thing. They usually don't even stay in jail very long. They're out on probation in six months. So please, please, please spare me, you know, all of that. Because I'm just, I'm just not trying to hear that anymore. Like, it's disproportionately us. Disproportionately us. In any facet, there's no, there's no statistical numbers you can give me to disprove that. And it's sad. And I sometimes think that, think that these movies, I wonder, do they hurt us more than they help us? And I wonder that because so many people are deniers or they love to tell you that black people play a race card. If we're playing a race card, what game are we winning? 
what game when you play in a card, that's a game. What what game are we playing that we getting killed every day? If we are playing that game, we are losing every single round. Yeah. But I sometimes wonder, like when you watch these films, and this is a real question to you, BT, do you think they hurt black and police relations even more than what they already are? Because does this make police feel like they're under attack, so they need to be more brazen? They need to go at it more at us. Like, do you think these things help us more? Or do they do they help the situation between blacks and and police officers across this country? Do you think these films help us or hurt us more? What, what's your thoughts on that? I'm gonna give you this one hand and other hand type of response right now. I mean, if it doesn't hurt it, it definitely doesn't make it better. Because somewhere in the middle, you got cell phone cameras that have been doing the job and that actually brought this renewed awareness for something that's been going on for a long time, right? So I can't really go and castigate the storytelling in films or TV shows about that. And, you know, I don't want to be a, you know, a, a Debbie Downer, but I think I'll go back to say, you know, it is not about, to me, it's really not about Black and police relations, right? It is more about Black and policing culture, and I'm not so I'm taking that question about the movies hurting and saying, let's just leave that alone and leave it strictly on cameras, on cell phones and the ability to bring these things to light. Because it's really always been there, but a lot of people didn't believe it because it wasn't an experience. And you can't blame them for that because how else would you see it? Even in cases where we have body cameras and cops now, I mean, it really takes almost an act of God for you to see the videos, right? So I don't want to say it's about black and and police i'm going to say it's really black and police relations it's about black and policing culture relations you know the culture and also the culture of perception of the black man in america like i know you and i've had this conversation marcus but i'm going to remind you like i wasn't born in the u.s i came here as an adult Let's just put it that way. And my mind, I could think very clearly, you know, but one of the first cultural things that I learned in the U.S. was to stay away from the black person, you know, because da, 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 you can fill in the blanks. It's all over TV. It's all over American culture of, you know, the black person is this, the black person is that, stay away, stay that. And at that point, I can't, I'm not a black American. This is not my lived experience. And so if if this is what I'm saying and this is what I'm being warned not to do, you know, why not do it? I was not even trying and I wasn't eager, you know, to not be black, but society kept pointing me away, you know, with all the, with all kinds of hints and subtleties, you know, and blatant messaging. And then when I didn't take heed, guess what? Then I started having the black experiences, right? So, you know, back to it, it's, it's really around, so I don't think films advance it enough because hold, they come hold, across. Being, I mean, hold on one second. Okay. Hold on, BT. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, let me just say this. You just dropped this atomic bomb, and I can't just move away from it because that's so disheartening to me. And I know it's true because, you know, I, I have friends, you know, one of my closest friends was who's from Germany, and you know, he said the same thing. He was like, I never saw black people on television, on American television, unless it was cops. So the whole world is taught that we are criminal, that we are violent. Can you, ima- can you name another being? So Marcus, uh, let, let me change that for you. 
outside of the U.S., right? We're watching Fresh Prince, right? You're watching The Cosby Show. You're watching A Different World. So the Black person's image outside of the U.S., you travel a fair bit. When you go outside of the U.S., it's not a lot of places. Once to find out you're like a Black American, there has, it's a, it has a cachet to it that you cannot sell in America. Like people in America would not even take it for free and pay taxes, right? It, it just doesn't exist. But once, once you get here, which was my experience, I'm speaking to my experience, because outside of that, it was, you know, the Will Smith of the world and the Cosby shows and everything was super cool. Like even the, you know, when you see like, you know, the, the army and Marines and all of that, it's super cool because, you know, they're usually portrayed as, you know, liberators and all that. So it's super cool. But then you come into the U.S. and it's completely different. And it, I mean, you, you're, you're taught that way, you're informed that way and all of those things until you start having these lived experiences. And I can tell you that mine, I know we're getting away from this conversation that we're having, but I, so I, you know, I was in Minnesota. So all of these things, all of these things happening in Minnesota, like you can be shocked and surprised about it. I can't tell you that Minnesota is fundamentally racist or not, or more racist than other parts of the country. As a matter of fact, I can tell you it's not, but what I can tell you is that I had an experience with guns drawn on me and all of those things. And that was when I realized that my black wasn't any different than anybody else's black. By that point, I'd lived in the U.S. enough to know that I was black, but I hadn't had those experiences that say, oh, okay, you're actually just one of the blacks, right? And when I had the experience with the police, then I started rethinking and like, unteaching myself all these assumptions that had embedded in my head to say, if you walk these paths, you know, these lanes and these paths, you know, differently, you wouldn't be this American black or America wouldn't see you as they see their black man or as they talk about their black man and all of those things. Right. So it, it's something that's very dense. It's something that's cultural. And it's, it's the other side of the police culture that we're talking about that where you say, if the police culture were to change, would the culture of the black person and the lessons that they've learned from the interactions with police ever change? Part of it is fright. Another part of it is flight. There's an, there's an aspect of it that's distrust. There's an aspect of it that's no trust, right? There are all these things that for, for this dynamic to shift, all those things almost need to level off or they need to converge. And for those things to happen, like Jesus will need to come back. How do you solve? <laughs> like, I mean, literally, like <laughs> you can laugh, but Jesus will need no, to come true. back. No, it's true. I mean, I get it. You're right. I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, dude, I think it's important that we say this too, because I think when people hear you say cops, everybody, because I, I, you get what people think the underlying thing is, is we're saying white. But let me be clear and just watch any of your favorite black movies a lot of the cops that treats black people the worst are black. Black. And, 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 and that's you know, why, so don't that's get why I'm trying. I'm trying not to say cops, even though I'm sure I've said it. I'm calling a policing culture. I mean, because as a matter of fact, the way policing is done in the U.S., you can take American police and go fight a war with the equipment that they have, with a lot and, of other and nations. And their budgets. And, and their budgets. Right. 
and the budgets. And American police will whoop the asses of militaries in other countries. I mean, like, they got budgets and armored equipment and guns and a culture that's so aggressive that, I mean, you go to other places. I went to France many years ago, and I was driving. I rented a car, and I was driving, and I got my GPS put me in (laughs) a pedestrian path. And, you know, the police walks up to you. And it's the nicest thing. They're like, hey, monsieur, like, let's get you fair. You know, like they just they just start chatting with you, right? And they redirect you. And you're like, wow, they didn't have a gun, they didn't have a flashlight, even like nothing. And when they come up to you, it's almost like, let me serve you. How can I be of help? Right. So but let me let me let me challenge you on that though. You had an isolated experience, and just like here in mate in America. I readily will be the first one to say I recognize that there are a ton of phenomenal, fair, level-headed police officers. I recognize that. But I would I would caution you from saying, oh, look how much different they are from America. Cause I guarantee you there's some black, <laughs> there's some black folks in France who would be like, nah, it ain't that different. No, they have their own issues. I mean, this is not even something of the past. They're having their own issues right now with the police, right? So I, I think what I'm saying is that act of God that I talked about where because the cop, the police guy didn't walk up to me and I saw guns and I saw the look in his eyes and all of those things, I was relaxed a little bit. I didn't want to run. I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to challenge him. You know what I mean? And these are things that the culture on both sides, and this is not blame. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, you know, the black culture needs to change and police culture because policing culture is tough here. So I'm going to get that off. I'm going to say, I'm going to put it more on that side. But I think the culture needs to get to a place where, because I don't have this fright and flight mindset already when you pull me over, right? I'm relaxed enough for us to have a conversation that is not, escalating to something else because the cops doesn't feel like you may have a gun to shoot. And this is another thing. There's a lot of guns in the U S right. And this is home for us. And so we're not making it other people's problems. There's a lot of guns. There's a lot of risk. It's, it's something that the dynamic on both sides is just, anyway, this conversation is raveling to something else. So <laughs> we can have no, a whole I mean, I, another, but, but I think that's what happens man, when you get triggered and when, I mean, you get triggered and then you go talk to a psychiatrist, you're going to be throwing out all kinds of stuff because it just brings up so much stuff. It's like when people go on cleanses or, or whatever, and then they start working out. So many things are coming out of your pores that you didn't know that you had in you. That's what this is like, you know? It's exactly what he's done. This is exactly this. Coming into this conversation, I was prepared. I knew we we're going to talk about this movie, Marcus. And I told myself that the tone of this conversation needs to be different. Because I'm really big on how do we move this forward? Like, how do we provide windows and doors for people to walk through and take a little bit of ownership here, a little bit of ownership there to move it forward. But then you end up just going back to the to the, the parts in your body that are triggered when you watch these movies because there's really deposits in there that make it difficult for me to not be biased. And I like to admit my biases. That's one of my biases that, uh, and it's maybe you can call it bias, maybe you can call it trauma or whatever, but I would admit that the minute I get pulled over, I tighten up. The minute I have a conversation about policing, I tighten up. The minute I have um, a conversation about the culture of guns, I tighten up. And this is the culture of guns is not about um, 
policing. It's just the overall writ large broad stroke culture around guns and what it does. I tighten up because I don't think these things are fair. I don't think this is how people should live. I don't think it's fair, you know, for the doer or <laughs> or the victim. I don't think it's fair. So it just triggers me. And uh, anyway, let, let me ask you something else because I keep going down this path. I want to go. So in, in this conversation stuff like, you know, trauma in the black community, um, it's very often the conversation around women and, you know, the black woman and the trauma that they have, Marcus, it's not talked about and highlighted as much, right? So Brianna Taylor, Marquia Brown, LaJuana Phillips, you know, Crystal Daniela Glenn, Latasha Nicole, April Webster, you name it. Like, so all these ladies that have similar experiences, it's not talked about enough. It's not highlighted enough. Why do you think that is? I don't know if there's a more disrespected person in this country than, than being a black person and being a woman. I can't even imagine, and I'm a man, so I'm going to try to be really empathetic when I say this because obviously I don't know what it's like to be a woman, but I was raised by strong women. Um, My sister, my mom, my my grandmother, my aunt, um, these are people who, my, my wife, you know, I'm around these strong women who just have gone through so much and yet they still stand and they, they do it where it almost seems effortless, you know? And when you watch a film and you don't see them trying to portray a woman as a mammy or as some kind of prostitute, the one thing that motion picture get right is they show a persevering, strong woman because there ain't no black woman living in this country that ain't got some strength. I don't care what you think of her, that woman could pick up a car if she had to. And so I think black women just get so disrespected as a total, as a whole in this country. God knows if you're a little black girl, they treat you like an adult and you'll be 12 years old. That is, that's who we are. And I just think the pain, the misery of, of black women just gets overlooked. I mean, when's the last time you saw a little black girl on a milk carton box? How many little black girls are missing in this country that nobody's looking for? Because, you, because honestly, nobody wants to t- discuss all the isms. But can you imagine having to deal with racism and sexism every day? Can you? I, I, honestly, I cannot imagine that. I, we, I can't. We, you know, we had uh, Minji on the on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I and I just I listened to her and I heard her pain, and I'm like, wow, so many people in the Asian community are just viewed as, in, as invisible. What a problem is for, for black women in America, they're not invisible. They're target practice. That's, that's what they are. They are literally target practice. Every time you turn around, like somebody's attacking them. Somebody's assaulting them. Somebody's trying to take something from them. And let Angry, me be clear. A lot. Yeah. And let's speak. I'm going to be 100 on this. Sometimes some of the, because I want to make sure this isn't just like, I don't want this podcast to ever come across as we're race bashing. This is truth telling 101. If you can't take it, this is grown folk hour. You should go to bed. A lot of black men, we need to step up too, because our black women are out here holding so much stuff down. And this ain't black man bashing either. Let me be clear. I know I, I, I try my very best to support 
my my fellow you know black women but i'm just saying like you see that and when you watch the news cuz i want to give you your time man cuz i know i'm i'm going on a tangent here but when you see it we only hear when it's a black man and a and a cop that's what we really hear but when it's a black woman man you don't even hear about it you know that it's just like i used to say this some days I had a job many, many years ago that I just absolutely hated. And my mother used to say to me, like, what is it about this job that you just dislike so much? I was like, I was like, every day I go there, I just feel so unnecessary. And she's like, what does that mean? And at the same time, that is so sad. Like, you just feel like, I mean, like, no matter what I do, no matter how much value I bring, this place brings me nothing but pain and anguish. And I'm like, what am I here for? I don't know how black women, all of you out there, don't just sometimes feel not never unnecessary, but just feel like no one has your back because it just feels like you're constantly getting attacked, constantly. If there's any person who should be walking around angry all the time, it's black women. But yet, they're not, though that's not what the media would have you believe. And it's just, you know, that, that, and it's just like when you watch these cases, the Breonna Taylors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we could be saying et cetera for the next 10 hours probably and not name them all. It's just so ridiculous that just like we said, again, like when we was talking to Minji, what kind of coward is going to sit here and beat up on a little Asian lady who's like in her eighties, right? Like what man does that? And we all are appalled at it justifiably so. But how many times have you turned on your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, and that's just a little 12-year-old black girl, and she's literally getting slammed on the, on the pavement, unconscious, People because they don't even treat her like, of it. Right. Yeah, they don't even treat her like a child, because black women, they are target practice. And that's just like, yeah, man, I, I could, yeah, I, I hope people can hear my disdain and, and the pain that's coming from my voice, because... I'm going to be real with you. Like, we better get a very large mirror and start looking at ourselves because the rest of the world is starting to see us as a nation filled with hypocrites. Uh, I don't care what generation you're from. I don't care what religion you are part of. There is no part of society that has ever been taught not to protect women. And it seems like women, and specifically right now, and I know what's been happening with the Asian community, so obviously I want to annex to them and our, our, our Hispanic um, females, and, 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 and I want to get started on the LGBTQ community. That's a whole nother podcast. But Black women have been target practice in this country since Black people first came here on a boat. Nah, I hear you. Man, so uh, take it to the score. I'm not even going to. Let's take it to the score. Um what what would you score this? Man, this is so hard. Let me say this. Is there there's nothing but praise for the film, film work, the acting. I don't I didn't know Joey Badass. Uh that's I think that's his I think he's a rapper, so that's his real name. Um, I think I saw him on a on an episode of Grownish or something like that. I I was very impressed with him. Like, to be honest with you, phenomenally. And let me just also give a give props to the cop. Like, that's not him in real life, but he makes me hate him. I think if I saw him on the street, it would be a misunderstanding. If I saw him on the street, <laughs> I, it's going to be a problem. 
<laughs> I'm just gonna be honest because I genuinely don't. If I saw you, it's gonna be a problem. And um, the young lady who played um, his uh, Carter, Carter's girlfriend, I think her name in the film was Perry. I think her real name is is it Zaire? Is that her real name? Zaria Simone. Yeah, I think, and I think she's an HBCU grad. I think so. I think look she at you, look at you. So you know, hey, I'm a Hampton grad. Gotta always put that in. Uh-uh. Hey, hey, it, we are an army of one. Let me be clear, but. Um, the acting was great. I think the script was phenomenal. Um, I think any movie that makes you think, even if it makes you think sad thoughts, has accomplished something. Um, it is a depiction of what is happening on our streets in America every single day. Um, and it did trigger something in me. And did I feel like it was an honest betrayal? Yeah. It's just like no matter what you do, that outcome wasn't going to change for you because it was never going to be allowed to change for you. So with all that being said, I'm going to give this film a 4.75. Um, the reason why I'm not going to give it, yeah, I'm giving it a 4.75 because you, you, you thought I was getting rid of my points. I'm not. And the only reason why I'm not going to give it a 5, the only reason why I'm not going to give it a 5 is not because it triggered me. Stop what you're laughing. I'm trying to give you the realness here. Now, come on. 4.75. I'm giving it 4.75. You got, don't be messing with my score, dude. Sorry, man. Keep going. Keep going. I stopped laughing. I'm about to, to, man, look, look, I'm about to pull out a can. You keep messing with my scores. Um, But no, I'm going to get, a reason why I'm not going to give it um, a five is not because it was triggering. It's not because of the the acting or anything like that. It's just, man, it's it's almost unfair that I'm going to dock it for this, but I'm just tired of these films a little bit. I, I just have a little exhaustion from them. Um, it's no fault of this film, but it's my score, so I have to tell you how I feel. If it wasn't for that, I'd give it a solid five. But I'm just exhausted from every time something is black and is critically acclaimed, I know somebody who looks like me is going to be in a pool of blood. And that's just, that's hard for me. And, and let, me, let me say this too. Kudos for Netflix for putting out there, because I also don't think the solution is to pretend it doesn't exist. This nation has done that long enough. It takes, you know, I'm glad. This is a short. This is not a feature, like a long feature film. So give Netflix kudos for putting out a 32-minute film, paying for it, putting it out there, and, and marketing it. Because just a year or two ago, that would have never happened. So, um, but yeah, I stick with my 4.75. I love the performances. I love the story. I just have exhaustion from the consistent and constant triggering of watching people who look like me, who are doing nothing but living like every other American, not getting to come home to their loved ones. And for me, that's, I'm tired. And I don't, I don't know if we'll be reviewing another movie like this, if I had my way, probably for a while, because I'm just tired, man. Yeah, same. I'm really tired. Same. I'll, um, this... Take, it takes too much from me, the lumps. It's uh, we got to do it. If we have to do it, we will. But it's not a. It's not a preference. <laughs> it's not a preference. Let's put it that way. My score, yeah. I'll give it a three point five. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, I, so I give, what, for what reason? I'm just curious. Like, so the good the things. Um, the storytelling is really tight. So it's 32 minutes. It could have been 400. This could have been a whole miniseries on TV or full-blown 12 episodes, right? Because it's, it's so, for that alone, the creative ability to jam in, take 32 minutes and condense such emotion and such storytelling, it, it's impeccable. The acting was great. They didn't utilize a lot of gimmicks to tell the story. Um, you could actually, at some point, 
find humor and find some rom-com. It did feel like a rom-com sometimes, right? So so all of that, it's, it's very, to me, those were like big positives. And obviously the message is very deep and very dense. Um, so if, if, I, if I stop there, it'd be a five. The parts that, you know, brought it down for me, um, the looping, it did a lot of service to the movie, but I think it also did disservice to the message because it did just, it made it less real to me because it felt like it gave the creators an ability to delete, rinse, and then come back and repeat without stacking on the message that they provided, you know, when they started. So it didn't stack on the, the density of what they were telling. So that's one for me. The end also didn't do much. Um, it created a lot of hope where I don't think hope was needed. I think, I don't think, I know in my opinion, I shouldn't say I know, in my opinion, the end should have been more of a, a call to action instead of just creating this hope of, of, you know, getting in the car and like driving home. And I know what they were doing there. I know that they wanted to create a situation that, you know, gives an ability to move on. But I think, but it still, be, but it still didn't end well, though. I it mean, didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't end well. So to me, those are those are the things that deducted from my overall assessment. You know, of it is it some? I'd absolutely say watch it again. Usually, I give it that type of a score. I've watched it once; it's good. But if you watch it again, like I said, there there are little hints in the movie that point to a lot of things. I, I can't breathe the African map, the credits. You watch it a few times over over, you're going to see more of those things. So a 3.5 for me, um, not more than that. Okay, that's fair. Well, I mean, we're going to kind of shut this one down. We went a little long um, compared to normal, but it's just hard. I mean, I ain't going to lie to you. This episode to me almost felt like a therapy session. Um, just getting some stuff off your chest and just saying it so I appreciate everyone who's listening to this, just kind of riding with us through it. Um, if you want to follow us, uh, Ben usually does that. I'll throw it to him. But if you want to find anything about me, everything, every handle, Twitter, Facebook, uh, IG, everything is pretty much at the Marcus T. Moore. Um, that's where you can find me. I'm not going to spell out for you. It's Marcus with a C, T as in Tom Moore. So at the Marcus T. Moore. Um, BT, give them your, give them your, how they can uh, find you and everything. Yeah. So you can find me on IG. I'm not on Twitter or Facebook, Tubo B. So it's T-U-B-U-O-B-E. That's me. My IG is actually pretty weak, but occasionally I'll put some stuff out there. So you can find me there. Culture Scores, a Speak Studio original. Um, we're on every outlet where you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow the handle of the platform is at Speak dot studio d-o-t in the middle not just a dot so you spell that out speak the studio we appreciate you listening you know leave us reviews download share with your friends we enjoy doing this and we really want to focus on bringing out the cultural aspects of character development in film and tv and until next time thanks for listening we're out peace take care everybody <laughs>